Let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The summer, if you recall, we've been looking at holiness in a variety of ways and from different aspects. And today we come to just two very simple little verses. And they were directed to this church that was having problems. And, and we know the, the church at Corinth was a young church. It had a lot of, of paganism to come out of and to, uh, in a sense, get rid of a lot of pagan ways and associations and practices that were still kind of lingering and, and rearing their ugly head again and again in, in, as they tried to follow Christ. And, and, and really, First and Second Corinthians is the largest section of the New Testament devoted to one church. I mean, there are 16 chapters in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, in 2 Corinthians, that's 29 chapters devoted to one church. Uh, they, they had problems, okay? They, they, if Paul's writing that much to them, they have problems. And remember that much of what he wrote was in response to questions that they had kind of sent to him and said, Paul, what do we do with this? I mean, how do we deal with uh, this issue of, of gifts? How do we deal with discipline? How do we deal with uh, the Lord's Supper? I mean, all, all these questions, and Paul helps them, and he gives them uh, quite a bit of information to, to correct their errant behavior, more so than their errant theology. They, they had some errant theology, but he spends more time on their behavior and just a little bit on their theology. And then, of course, there is the severe letter that Paul mentions that we don't have. So there's even another letter to the church at Corinth that, that is uh, probably not in existence anymore. But, so there's even more information that he gives to them. So with that as kind of an introduction, if you're able, let's stand and I'll read the word of God. Heavenly Father, come upon us today that, that our hearts would simply be full of your word, full of the Holy Spirit, that we might understand how it is you call us to live, and you lay these things out for us. Give us understanding, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. And these are commands for the most part. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And then almost as a contrabalance to that, let all that you do be done in love. Please be seated. So he goes through all of this in, in 1 Corinthians and says, don't do this and do this and don't do this and do this. And then he comes to this little section here in these two verses and he gives five commands. They're imperatives. They are commands. And, and they're military in language. Now, they don't show up so much in the English, but in the Greek, they, they carry a military connotation to them. Okay? And Paul is no stranger to using military or athletic terms uh, in his uh, illustration of the gospel. Okay? Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong and do it in love. Those are the five things. So let's look through them briefly. 
So first is be on the alert or watch or be awake. It can be a phrase that is applied to somebody who is asleep uh, physically or asleep spiritually. Now, the Corinthians, odds are they were awake physically, but they weren't awake spiritually. And Paul is, is, is on them about what they should be doing spiritually. If you look at, we won't turn there, but 1 Corinthians 5 says, let us not sleep as do the others. Okay, and it's the same type of phrase here, be awake. Others are asleep spiritually, you need to be awake spiritually. Okay. So he's obviously, as I said, not writing to people who are asleep physically, but they just, you know, every once in a while we all get in a funk and we just don't get it, okay? Well, the Corinthians were in a long-term funk, spiritually speaking, and they just weren't getting it. It may have been going into their heads, but it wasn't coming out with their hands, from, through their hands. It wasn't coming out through their mouths, through their lives. They weren't living it. And Paul says, hey, wake up. Wake up spiritually. Now, we, we have a song, doesn't the choir sing? Wake up, wake up, wake up in glory. Okay. All right. So, see, we're awake. All right. So, wake up. That's the easy one. Wake up spiritually. Second, he says, stand firm. And it's not just stand firm, but it's stand firm in the faith. Or stand fast in the faith. Now, Paul is not, this is not a nebulous spiritualized faith when he says stand fast fast in the faith or stand firm in the faith he is talking about the content of God's revelation Paul is talking about what he has taught to them what the apostles teach that they learn from Jesus Christ he's talking about doctrine okay he's talking about the word of God he's not talking about anything that's uh, faith is, is my own and it's based on my experience. He's not saying stand firm in that. He's saying here is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Here is what has been taught about him. Here are the facts. You need to stand firm on the facts of Jesus Christ. Okay, their lives have been changed. They've come to Christ. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They need to stand firm in their doctrine and in their knowledge of God's word. Jude says it's the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There's, there's no more that's going to be added here. There's only the application of how we're going to live out this gospel, this word of God. And the Corinthians had had a problem. They had actually allowed human wisdom to infiltrate within the church. And they were putting human wisdom on a par with the wisdom of God's word. Okay? And Paul says that's, that's a terrible thing that in the sense that the revelation of God had lost its distinctiveness, had lost its distinctiveness. And they were, you know, God's word had carried no more weight with them than my word or anybody else's. And let me tell you, God's word carries a lot more weight than mine, all right? So the Corinthians were not standing firm on the content of God's word, nor were they standing firm on the person of Christ, and we see Paul address this back in chapter 12, where they've kind of given themselves over to a mix of uh, paganism and mysticism, and they just had become kind of wishy-washy on certain aspects of what, what they had been taught. They were reverting back to more cultic practices from their pagan days that, uh, before they came to Christ. And Paul says in, in chapter 15... 
Uh, he says, now if Christ has preached that he has been risen from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Okay, they had the message of Christ, that he had been raised from the dead, and along come these, um, these orators, these traveling uh, uh, rhetoricians who would show up in the middle of the town square and begin to debate and talk, and they kind of poo-pooed the idea of resurrection. And Paul says, how did you throw out the resurrection? Didn't, didn't we teach that to you? Didn't we tell you? Didn't we demonstrate the power of Christ to you? And now all of a sudden, it's as if you, you, the resurrection never happened in your life. How can you do this? So they were undermining the word of God. They were poo-pooing that and placing human wisdom right alongside of it. Two, they were denying the reality of, of Jesus Christ. And they were denying the resurrection of Christ. Not only so, so they weren't failing to stand firm in the word of God. Now, the New Testament says quite a bit about standing firm, and I'm not going to read all these to you, but you can, uh, you can look them up. Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 6. Those are just a couple where the commands are to stand firm in the things of the faith, to stand firm in the things of Christ. Do not waver. So, the Corinthians weren't standing firm. They weren't staying alert. Um, they weren't firm in their devotion to the gospel. They weren't firm in their devotion to Christ. They weren't firm in their proper use of the liberty that they had been given in Christ. They weren't firm in the unity of the body of Christ in, in caring for one another. They just, they just weren't firm. And what weren't they firm in? Most importantly, they weren't firm in their stance on God's word. So number three. So you had wake up, stand firm, and number three, act like men. Now, uh, ladies, this doesn't mean that you can check out here. Okay, uh, but act like men. Now, that, what does it mean to act like a man? Well, I'm going to tell you in just a minute. <laughs> Before you can act like a man, the implication here, according to the language, is you have to be mature. So we go back to standing firm in, in the faith. So you have to be mature in your faith if you're going to act like a man. You have to be rooted in God's word. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says, brethren, he says, it basically, this is, this is Randy's translation, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to have to come and smack you like I would a little child. Okay? The translation is, I have to bring the rod. Well, that's what it means. If you don't man up, if you don't mature, if you don't jump in and do the things that you're supposed to, I'm going to have to come and discipline you because that's what is needed. And that's what is needed. Uh, they were a bunch of spiritual babies in a sense. They were not men in understanding. They were not men in courage. They were not men in maturity. They were squabbling, immature, uh, affected by false doctrine. He says you've got to be mature. You have to fill your heart and mind with the word of God. Then you can be mature. Then you can act like men. Now. Man up, be a man, do manly things. What kind of things are manly things? Well, now as a father of three daughters, I, I told my girls that, well, boys are bad, they're hairy, and they smell bad, and they make funny noises. 
okay? And they scratch and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's not manly things. It's not what we're talking about. Even though, now some of you will remember Tim Taylor from Tool Time and television, okay? And he really, he was this, this uh, stereotypical man. He, he, he made noises, grunted, and, and liked power tools, and liked cars, and, and really didn't understand the subtleties of, of uh, the, the marital relationship and how to talk to women. It was, he was always kind of clueless, but he was a man, and, and that was kind of the change. Uh, uh, I'm not equating societal change with Tim Taylor but, um, in a TV show, but you see manliness was starting to come out there in some fashion. Um, it, now, what defines being a man? Is it, uh, is it doing manly things? Is it going out in the woods and, and, you know, killing the bear with your knife or with your bare hands or with your teeth? And, and then, uh, no, that's not manly things. There's a definition that's coming for you in just a moment, okay? So you'll, you'll want to be ready for that. I, I think one of the scourges of society is boys being raised without fathers because they're not taught how to be men. They're not taught how men respond, how men treat women in particular. You know, uh, guys, how did you learn how to treat your wife? Odds are, hopefully, you learned how to treat your wife from the way that your father did. Now, there are good examples and there are bad examples. I, I understand that. But that's where we learn how to be a man is from our fathers. And all those kids who are grown up without fathers, they're, they're lacking that. Now, there are additions and substitutions and, and, and things like that to help them, but there really is no, no replacement for that. Okay? To see it lived out in front of you day by day, both the goods and the bads. Because we all, we all have those things, well, my dad did it this way, and I'm never going to do that. Okay? Or my dad did it this way, and I want to be sure that I do it that way. So when the scripture says, act like a man, how are we to understand that phrase? Paul is literally calling the church to be a man. Okay? That is a command, an imperative. Um, it's a noun in language, but Paul turns it into a verb. He says, be a man, be manly, act like a man, um, be strong, act like men. Well, let me give you a couple areas. And, and, and this is geared more towards the men in the congregation. But ladies, you, you can write this down when you get home. You can say, did you, did you hear this? Okay, did you pay attention to that? Okay. First of all, to be a man, to act like men, is the application is in the community of Jesus Christ, within the church where God has called you to be. Men are to be guardians of the faith. Paul says, be on guard. Okay? Mature men who act like men don't go chasing theological error. We don't go off into the weeds and, and, and chase uh, the minutia that might lead us off into error. We, we stand firm on the word of God. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith. So men stand firm in the faith. You're to be a man of courage, not ashamed of the gospel. Men who are studied in the word of God, men who are saturated with the Holy Spirit, whose lives demonstrate in every opportunity the things of Christ. We stand firm out of what we have received. We are strengthened by the word. We receive the word in worship. We receive the word in Bible study. We receive the word in our own personal devotions. These are the, the inputs that we have of the word of God so that we are strengthened. We're courageous. We don't care what others say about 
our faith or how that we live. We care what the Lord says and how we live out what the Lord says. That's being a courageous man. That is being strong. That is acting like a man. But you'll notice verse 14. It says, act like a man. And how do you do that? You let all that you do be done in love. So there is this... um, Acting like a man does not mean running over people with the gospel. Acting like a man does not mean I've got the right answer and you need to conform to it. There is this aspect of love and how you present the gospel. It's, I had a friend who said, well, you've got to put some velvet on the brick. Okay? If you're going to hit somebody with a brick, it's better if it's wrapped in a little bit of velvet and it doesn't hurt as much. You wrap, this is not a perfect illustration, you wrap the gospel the brick of the gospel in the velvet of love, okay? And you present it that way. Now, sometimes, you know, that can be very difficult because when it talks about presenting it in love, doing everything that you do in love, sometimes the loving thing is very hard to do. Sometimes the loving thing is to walk away. Sometimes, remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5? He says, kick the brother out of the fellowship. He's had his chance. He's been confronted. He has not repented. Kick him out. Let Satan work on him with the hopes that he will come back and be repentant. Okay? So sometimes it, we have to do the very difficult thing. Now, there's no dichotomy here between being loving and being a man. Being loving is not somehow weakness. It's some not, somehow not, well, you've got to let your feminine side out. No, there's this strong love that is male in its essence and that's what Paul wants he wants us to act like men we're called to love through and who we are as men not despite being men in all other actions be alert be stand firm stand firm in the faith be strong are summed up in the loving action remember 1 Corinthians 13 Oh, if I do all this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this, but if I have not love, what, what do I have? I got nothing. Okay? I'm just a sounding gong. I'm not doing anything. So we're called to be men of faith in the community in which the Lord places us. Secondly, we're called to be men, especially men of faith, for those of us who are married as husbands. First Peter 3 says, guys, you want to know why your prayer life is, is uh, stinky? He doesn't say stinky, but stinky because you don't treat your wives right. Oh, well, how am I supposed to treat my wife? Well, it's very clear throughout Scripture. Uh, He says, he he talks about this in in 1 Peter. He talks about it in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, a lot of people quote Ephesians 5, and they just quote the ladies. Ladies, submit to your husbands. Okay, that's the easy part. And your ladies are going, you're kidding me, that's the easy part? Okay. No, because it says men do what? Uh, Some of you got it. Uh Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is everything. Okay? And I don't know. I know one guy who did it perfectly, and he's mentioned in the passage. Okay? The rest of us are trying to do that to different degrees of success. Okay? Ladies, I, you know, I, I don't know any lady who would not want to live out the first part of the verse if their husband is trying desperately to live out the second part of the verse, if they're giving up all that they are for you. Now, how many of you 
have had to give up your life for your wife? Yeah, see, it's a trick question because if you raised your hand, you're still here. Okay, so uh, not, not many men are called to, to lay down their life for their wives or to give up their life for their wives. But what are we called to do? Let's, let's put it in, in our everyday life. Um, guys, will you put the trash can out of the curb every Wednesday night without your wife reminding you to do it? Will you, when she walks into the room and you're watching, um, put it in, in my life, watching the Steelers, will you turn the Steelers off or at least the volume down if your wife wants to talk to you? Will you give up your Alabama or Auburn tickets for a special game if your wife has made other plans for you? Yeah, uh, sorry, Brian, Bo was, Bo was going, no, Come on, okay? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> she was. Okay, those are the types of things that, that if we're not going to go and, and lay down our life for our wives, what am I going to lay down for my wife? What am I going to give up that Randy really wants and put it aside because it's better for my wife, it's better for my family? Will I nurture her and, and cultivate that growth in Christ in her? Is she godlier because of me or in spite of me? Ooh, guys, we're having a bad day, I can tell you, okay? Mm. We're called to be men in our marriages. Thirdly, we're called to be men as we raise our children. Now, Ephesians says we're not to provoke our children. We're not to, in, in a sense, poke at our children. We're to cultivate our children, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So that's both a warning and a direction for us as men. We let our children be children. We let our boys be boys and our girls be girls. Grace says there's a fight at the orphanage every day. Okay? And when you put 30 boys together, you're going to get fights. And she just pulls them apart and 10 minutes later they're friends and not, not playing again. Except the one time when the boy grabbed the baseball bat and that, that took a little, little bit more work. Okay? Um, that's what boys do. Girls are different. Okay? I know this is no shock to you, but they're just different. So, guys, what will you do for your children, okay? Now, one of my friends coached football. This is just, just an example of this. He coached football for many years back in Pennsylvania. And he finally had to make a rule that, you, that parents, i.e. fathers, could not come to the practices and videotape the practices. Because what the fathers were doing is going home with their children and critiquing their practice with the video that they had just made. And they were contradicting the instructions that the coaches were giving them. So the coach made a rule. He said, you cannot videotape the practice. We will teach them the right way to play, the right techniques. Dads, you go home and teach them how to be men at home. That was the last time you ever had a problem with any parent videotaping a practice. Okay? All right, so those are the three things it talks about, three areas when it says be men, be men. So now we come to the fourth issue here in verse 13, be strong. Or literally, this is the only passive one here. The rest are commands, but this is a passive command. It doesn't say be strong, the translation there is, is okay, but it really means be strengthened, be strengthened. 
where does the Christian get his strength? From the Lord. The Lord is the one who strengthens us. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you are to be strengthened by God. You can't strengthen yourself. Now, what's amazing here is that the Corinthians thought they were already strong. They thought they had it together, but they didn't. And Paul says, you, you, you know, um, if, if you look at, at, at Revelation and, and chapter 3, in particular, the church at Laodicea, and the Laodiceans thought they were rich and thought they uh, could see and thought they had great clothing because at, at, at Laodicea they were known for banking and they were known for a special eye salve and they were known for wool, a special wool. And John says, you've got nothing. You're not strong. You're not rich. You can't see. You've got to buy for me clothes. You've got to buy for me the, the ointment that will make your eyes see. You have to buy for real riches. And he's talking about the riches of Jesus Christ. Okay? Same type thing here. Corinthians thought they were strong, but they weren't strong. It's an attitude of courage, a courage of conviction, Courage to be uncompromising on what is true and what is right. Courage to confront error. Courage to confront false doctrine. Uh, Courage to face intimidation and persecution. Think of the courage that's being exercised by the Christians in Iraq and Syria right now. That are facing death simply because they're believers. Simply because they won't renounce their faith. The courage to face those types of things. Strength is needed. Courage is needed in a society filled with values that change on a regular basis, that gets wishy-washy now and then, that absolutes are are just not liked at all. A society that has compromised a society that can be weak. And some fear that, well, Rand, if I hold these strong doctrinal views, won't I alienate people? Not if you hold them with love. Not if your heart is filled with the love of Jesus Christ. Stand strong and firm in the faith, in the, in the gospel and the doctrines that you have received. But do so in love. Now, all right, four things quickly for men. Ladies, you can pay attention to them too. But they're for men in particular. Number one, men fight. Men fight. Timothy makes, Paul makes it clear to Timothy, says, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. This is talking about the end of his life and how he has given himself wholly out to the gospel and to the things of Christ. He says, I've been poured out like a drink offering. He says, I have fought the fight. The sign of a good end to the Christian life is a life that has been fought well, a race that has been run well. You know, when you run a race, they don't just run up to the tape. They run where? right through the tape. They don't slow down until they've crossed the finish line. Gentlemen in particular, we do not slow down until we're there with the Lord. He'll take us out of this world when he's ready for us to retire as Christians. Up until then, we live it out. Secondly, men flee temptation. Men flee temptation. We don't just stay away from temptation or we don't battle temptation. We see temptation over there and where do we go? Over here. Scripture is very clear. We flee temptation. First Peter says be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, does what? He prowls around like a lion looking to devour you. 
you. And we each know the areas in our lives where Satan is attempting to devour us, where we are particularly weak. He wants to devour you. You cannot let him. You must flee temptation. We have to fight. We have to flee against pride and lust and abuse of power and and apathy. And, And the list could go on and on. But man, you know our hearts. We have to flee those things. Number three, men pursue God. Men pursue God. The fight is not just about avoiding sin and fleeing temptation. It is about running in the right direction. And the direction is, where is God? That's where I want to be. We pursue the fruit of the Spirit. We pursue righteousness and godliness. We pursue love. We pursue patience. We pursue gentleness. We fill our lives with these things. This is what makes us men. This is, when it says, act like men, this is the way that men act. Whether you're a man or a lady... We pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, self-control, on and on and on. We offer our bodies as a what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. So men pursue God. Number four, men worship. Men should be an example to everybody else in worship. Now we joke off and on about those who can sing and those who can't sing. God doesn't care what it sounds like when it comes out of your mouth. He cares about what? Right here. Right here. And he wants that to be demonstrated. So when we sing Mighty Fortress, you ought to be belting it out. Or any other song for his praises and for his glory. We ought to just let our sing from your heart. You know... None of us have perfect pitch. We'll just assume nobody has perfect pitch until we get to heaven, okay? Until then, live with the fact that the person next to you might go, oh, every now and then, or all the time. Okay, but your heart, it's on fire for the Lord, and it just comes out. That's the way it should be. Men worship. We're not ashamed to worship the Lord, okay? It is our spiritual duty. It is our spiritual opportunity to worship our Lord. We give our whole self to him. All that we have, our whole self to him. When men are strong, when we act like men, it's obvious that our priority is Jesus Christ. One last thing. Most of our days of being a courageous Christian, a courageous Christian, doesn't involve anything spectacular. It doesn't involve conquering the world. It doesn't involve rising up, as Isaiah says, on the wings of eagles. It involves walking the daily Christian life. Each and every day. In those little things, demonstrating the things of Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is is not in vain in the Lord. That's what it means to act like a man. Let's pray. Lord, there are certain characteristics that are to be demonstrated by every Christian. From the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control, all those things. The things that When Paul says, act like a man, 
We're to be courageous and strong, not afraid, not afraid of what this world can do to us. You have changed us. We rest in your hand. What can man do to us? We fear the one who made us, who loves us, who has saved us, who holds us in, our, in his hand. That's you. We fear you with a holy and godly fear. We stand in awe of who you are and, and the task that you both give to us and empower us to fulfill. Come, Heavenly Father, show us that we may all act like men. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.